welcome to Art of the Score, the podcast that explores, demystifies, and celebrates some of the greatest soundtracks of all time from the world of film, TV, and video games. I'm Andrew Poxon, and in each episode, we'll be joined by Daniel Golding and Nicholas Buck as we check out a soundtrack we love, break down its main themes, explore what makes the score tick, and hopefully impart our love of the world of soundtracks. In episode 18, we tackle one of the largest franchises in movie history. There it is, James Bond. Bond has been capturing the imaginations of audiences for over 50 years via a full 24 films. And across the next three episodes, we're going to look at all of it. <laughs> it worked. Uh, whether you're a fan of John Barry, David Arnold, Thomas Newman, or God forbid, Eric Serra, we have you covered over the coming episodes as we squeeze all of the juice out of this amazing, amazing franchise. And joining me in full tuxedo, I'm not even joking, this guy has an actual tuxedo on. We should get a photo. He's a composer, he's an arranger, orchestrator, conductor, and man with the golden pun. It's Nicholas Buck. How are you doing, Nick? Buck, Nicholas Buck. I'm so pumped for this episode, guys, or three episodes, rather, um, as we are going to dive into really what is my favourite franchise. It's the franchise that got me into film scoring. Um, John Barry is my musical hero from a young age, and I can't wait to dissect all of these great scores. Absolutely. This is really going to be quite the uh, ride through the next three episodes, and I'm really looking forward to it. And, of course, there is always three, three episodes, three people, Nick. I don't know if you know that about this podcast. But joining me from his mountaintop lair where he totally expects me to die, folks, is a writer, critic, composer, university lecturer, and having just received his license to thrill, it's Dan Golding. Well, I do expect you to die laughing after that (laughs) intro. I think, yeah, this is going to be fantastic. I think, uh, look, if Star Wars was mine, uh, then maybe Bond is Nick's, but this is such uh, an amazing franchise that is really close to my heart and the music is just incredible uh, I think across all 24 films so it will be quite a journey it, it will be indeed uh, this is this is one that we've put an awful lot of time and effort into trying to work out you know how on earth do you boil down 50 years 24 films of, of uh, music and great content and put that into three episodes we're going to give it a crack and uh, I think we've actually worked out a nice little, uh, a little format here, which should be a bit of fun. But before we get into it, I just want to do the usual housekeeping of, uh, you know, if, you, if you're enjoying this podcast and you're not a subscriber, make sure you subscribe on the usual Apple Podcasts, iTunes, etc. Tell your friends, uh, get them involved, get on the, uh, on the socials. That's what the kids call it these days, isn't it, Dan? The socials? Sure. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so on, on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, all art of the score, uh, we are on there. We're ready to sort of hear from you, get any kind of feedback and uh, happy to answer any questions. And of course, if there is a, a request that you'd like to make, then that is the place to do it. Uh, this is one of those uh, scores, I guess, or one of those franchises that we've got a huge amount of requests for. I also think think that by having, you know, we're going to check out some John Barry, like I said, David Arnold, Thomas Newman, etc. 
I feel like we're we're racking up very easily our KPIs when it comes to um, getting you know some different composers on here, Nick. So that's making me very excited. Well, how many composers do we have? Is it seven? Ooh, that is a. I really mean, just good just question. to make folks uh, just to be sure, we are not including the original. Um, was it Casino Royale? Casino Royale. The Bird Bacharach mm. scored mm. one, or Never Say Never Again. Or any other sort of, I guess, Bond offshoots. We're talking about the Eon Productions, MGM, you know, um, official kind of uh, all the broccoli and Harry Saltzman produced ones. We're purists. We're purists. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do like the the Herb Albert uh, and Tijuana Brass theme for oh, the yeah. Casino Royale, the '67 version. It is actually in a, in a series that has some pretty hilariously dorky music, as we will discuss. That's up there. I, yeah, it's really up there. It's really <laughs> up there. <laughs> And look, Michelle Legrand wrote some great stuff for Never Say Never Again. So if you mm. are interested, go check it out. But we're, we're, we're not going to cover it today. Mm. And I mean, I, I guess maybe we should say like behind the scenes here. I mean, the, the idea to do this mega episode of Doom. Yes, there we go. Oh, wait a minute, Dan. I had a little. Okay, I've got my fader here, Dan's computer on the fader. And I realized there's a little bit of music coming through. Wow. And... That's not intentional, but that's Casino Royale. I it just is. didn't press stop. I, and, uh, yeah, so I bring up the fader, and here's a little bit of, of um, Herb Albert here. <laughs> that was not intentional at all. It's just gone on to give us some uh, T1 of Brass. Yeah. Well, th- there you go. That's I mean, Casino Royale. I'm, I'm not convinced that was a mistake, folks. I actually think that Dan has this playing 24-7, <laughs> and just I just happened to dial in on it. Actually, what's happened is you've just heard the inside of my head. Uh, <laughs> You've tapped into it. That and Tijuana Taxi. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, so to give you the behind the scenes, as I was saying before, we were we were talking about potentially doing a Casino Royale, the David Arnold version, the 2006 film. Uh, and we sort of got to discussing and, and thought really, you know, we should probably do an episode that looks at them all. Because if we did a film like Casino Royale, which was fantastic and absolutely great score, we'd sort of be just constantly going, oh, well, it's sort of harking back to this Remember other. this. Remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we're attempting what could be the impossible uh, <laughs> and doing everything all in one shot. So, we'll yeah. see how we go. Absolutely. And uh, I might keep you talking there, Dan, hmm. because uh, you might give us a little bit of history for people who aren't absolutely as well-versed in the Bond mythos as you are. <laughs> yeah. um, what can you tell us about James Bond and sort of where it sits in the uh, the Hollywood uh, pantheon yeah. of franchises? So, it's, I mean, it's probably the longest-running English-language franchise. Uh, in, in, there, are, there are certain characters in uh, the Italian film world uh, that, that have been adapted longer. Um, there's a character from Kiberia, which is um, momentarily escaping me, but he's had more films than Bond, but wow. is nowhere near as sort of globally popular as James Bond. But certainly within the English-speaking world, Bond is where it's at in terms of long-running multi-film franchises and of course it begins before the films with the novels of Ian Fleming uh, who is a former British spy himself uh, and took some of that uh, experience during the Second World War and wrote a series of well really wildly successful novels um, of which I've, I've read all of them actually at one point or another um, and they're actually very good and sometimes quite different from the films. Um, but really, really interesting uh, series, which were to be turned into films. First with uh, Doctor No in 1962, uh, which I like Doctor No, but I don't think you could really say it's the kind of film that warrants 23 sequels. <laughs> um, and 
I mean, you know, it's just kind of a testament to the way that James Bond as a franchise, and we'll hear this in musical form throughout these next three episodes, but in a filmic sense, has managed to constantly update itself and sort of renovate the franchise. You know, people talk about Casino Royale as being the reboot moment, but actually there are so many reboot moments oh, yeah. throughout all of the Bond franchise. Absolutely. Um, where it's constantly, you know, and it's and not just reboot moments, but be able to go like, you know, oh, in the 70s, oh, space movies are in. All right, let's do Moonraker. Or, you know, um, sort of the genre of black exploitation is in, so let's have Live and Let Die. Or, you know, these sort of... You know, being able to work within the times of what's popular in terms of filmmaking, what's popular in popular culture more generally, uh, and sort of remain relevant while still sort of being James Bond. Yeah. Oh. I've, I've got a question for you, Dan. Uh, in other episodes, I think I've learnt from your uh, your opening volleys mm. uh, that <laughs> salvos, yeah. uh, that, you know, really the, the sequel movie came about later on with with Spielberg and so on but yeah. really this is the this is the original sequel sort of you know yeah. I know they're not calling it James Bond 2 and yeah. James Bond 3 <laughs> Electric Boogaloo but the That's true. uh you know what is the uh, wh- what's your take on that is this hmm. was this seen as a sort of sequels or yeah, how, um, what's the definition y- yes and no so firstly of course Bond is an English production not a Hollywood production oh, oh so, okay yep. so there's a little bit of cultural difference there <laughs> but but secondly um the, the mode of seriality is a bit different. So, as you say, you know, it's from Russia with Love actually does have some elements that link it to Dr. No. I think there's um, Sylvia Trench is, the, is the, the Bond girl that sort of is hanging around in the opening scenes of From Russia with Love. And that implies some sort of continuity. But actually, what happens with James Bond is to some extent a lot more like what you get with a TV series like Law and Order from the 1990s where you're aware of the previous episodes and there may be some minor threads that continue throughout the films but actually what each episode's point is to sort of make you forget about the previous ones while you're watching it yeah, to sort right. of outdo that you don't really need to have before. seen the previous ones to enjoy yeah. the next one necessarily but, but it's sort of like it's such an interesting phenomena because it's sort of like to me the best bond film is the next bond film <laughs> like they're, they're, they're <laughs> I love the Bond series But the actual individual films Rarely kind of hold up in the moment When you go back and re-watch them Like when you're actually there in front of the screen Often they're sort of a 7 out of 10 But like as soon as they sit there in your memory They're 10 out of 10 And as soon as you get excited about the potential Of the next upcoming one It's like that's going to be amazing That's going to be the one that changes everything And actually that very rarely happens <laughs> Yeah so it's kind uh, of amazing how there's yeah I mean there's this kind they're of, all a bit disappointing but you want to see the next one yeah yeah <laughs> um, which which is is just I mean it's just a, a, a which, testament to how this series works in a very different way to most other franchises so would you say Dan that there is no perfect Bond film yeah absolutely because yeah. I, I think I would agree with you I mean there's mm. great bits from all of them but mm. I mean I, and I certainly have my favorites but I, I don't look at any and go yep that one's that's it. Yeah. It's perfect. Don't change a thing. Yeah. And, you know, like what I was saying before about how they kind of make you want to forget about the previous ones in the moment is that they often do repeat elements. So, um, ages ago, in the lead up to, um, I think it was Quantum of Solace, I watched all of them over the course of a month, which at that point was something like 20 films. So, it was quite a lot of Bond in a you know, <laughs> short amount of time. And I started taking notes about the similarities between all of the films. And I think there's about six or seven films. I should write this up one day, but... There's about six or seven films which end with Bond sort of, it's insinuated that he's about to have sex on a boat. 
<laughs> like spe- specifically on a boat like that's how the film finishes yeah. and that happens you know not just once or twice but sort of six or seven times and it's sort of you know there's definitely a formula there yeah yeah, yeah. but but it's a formula that that um it wants to remind you that this is a bond film but it doesn't want to remind you that this has happened before it wants to say this is a bond-esque moment that we're going to do better than you've seen before yeah. even though you've probably seen it before yeah. so it's kind of this erasure and repetition simultaneously yeah. which is super interesting i think yeah absolutely so nick i reckon we should uh we should get stuck in and there's talk probably about some music yeah talk about some music <laughs> there's probably no better place to start than with the original. Well, there, that's the best place to start. But before we go to the original, oh, okay. we need to play um, this piece of music by a very, very famous composer called Monty Norman. I was born with this unlucky sneeze And what is worse, I came into the world the wrong way round Pundits all agree that I'm the reason why my father fell Into the village pond and drowned Wow. (laughs) For those of you who have never heard that... um, Yes, it does sound like the James Bond theme. And um, look, the story is very famous. Uh, many of us know it. For those who don't, uh, Monty Norman was um, a music theatre composer primarily and had done some work with, I think, Harry Saltzman mm. and um, was basically signed on to do the score for Dr. No. And when it came to writing pretty much the Bond theme, um, in Monty Norman's words, he sort of turned to his bottom drawer from a musical called A House for Mr. Biswas, um, which was a book turned into a music theatre project which never actually got off the ground. But um, there was a song in there called Bad Sign, Good Sign. And that is what you just heard. And um, really is is where the melody for the the Bond theme came from. And... Apart from having a little melodic fragment, it's, it couldn't be a world f- oh, know, further away the, from... The mood is entirely different. It's entirely different. Mm. Um, but it's a really fascinating way it came about. And, um, um, you know, the other piece of the puzzle to this whole thing is that uh, John Barry was, after Norman kind of rearranged this this tune, the producers weren't overly happy with, with kind of the vibe of it. So they brought in, you know, young upcoming superstar of the sort of kind of jazz pop world in England, uh, John Barry, to basically arrange and, and orchestrate, you know, what what Naughty Norman had provided. And, um, you know, such was Barry's impact that really, um, you know, there's there's been authorship, you know, c- contests over the years. And, and Monty Norman has actually been awarded, you know, the official rights to the song in, in court. Um, but I thought before we play the Bond theme, it, it'd be a good idea to just have a listen to some of Barry's previous work in upcoming years before Dr. No was out, just to kind of hear his style of music and what, what he kind of added. And here's a song from 1960 called Poor Me, sung by Adam Faith, written by John Barry, but you'll hear some some Bond vibes in there. Oh, me. Oh, 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 me. Oh, 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 sorrow's around my head It's been heard and it's been said That you tried to date another guy Didn't hide, didn't even try to 
So, you know, instantly we have that kind of rising chromatic, mm. da, 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 da. you know, the rest of it's a bit kind of Buddy Holly imitation mm. sounding, but there's definitely a sort of an element there. Um, another song he wrote is a, is a song called Black Stockings. <laughs> um, and this actually features uh, a guitarist who will become very famous through Bond called Vic Flick, um, playing some kind of really... Um, pretty iconic electric guitar of, of the time. And um, that combined with, again, this sort of chromatic harmony um, is just another sort of sign of this, this Barry-style orchestration. It's so funny, isn't it, that all of these, you know, if you had told me, because you know, I'm not, I'm not quite the aficionado that that you guys are in in Bond. Certainly not all of the little minor parts. If you told me that turns up in Bond at some point, I'm like, mm. yeah, of course it does. It makes total mm. sense. Yeah, mm. it and sounds I, like a Bond piece. Mm. Yeah, and you know, the Bond films have used choir and stuff. Yeah. Um, but look, even going away from Bond, you know, this this chord progression of the Bond films that sort of. You know, rising and falling chromatic thing. I mean, it's it's really nothing new. I mean, it's in an Elvis song. Uh, check this out. When we kiss, my heart on fire, burning with a strange desire. And that's a song called Surrender, which itself was based on like a sort of 1900s Neapolitan Italian song, Come mm. Back to Sorrento. Mm. Uh, La Tornea Sorrento, whatever it is. And, you know, and another three tenors, Pavarotti, have all sung that kind of that tune at some <laughs> stage. Yep. Um, but, you know, there's obviously there's a, there's a sound of the era of this sort of this mm. chromatic thing, which, which was kind of popular. And when Barry came along, he obviously, um, you know, I, I've never kind of heard what Norman originally provided for the film as far as the Bond theme and uh, maybe we'll, we'll never know but mm. certainly when Barry came in you know he brought the that kind of twangy electric guitar that kind of chromatic harmony if it wasn't there already and um, and of course the most crucial element was that kind of really raving big band kind of sound which which we now know it for so I think now's a good time for us to actually hear what, what that final version of the James Bond theme was like when it first hit our screens in 1962 
And of course, there at the end, you've got the beautiful final chord, which is so associated with James Bond. I'm not—I know how to play it on guitar, but I don't know the name of it. Well, it's sort of like it's like an—it's like a minor chord with like a major seven, mm. um, and that's pretty much it, really. You know? Yeah. It's the minor major seven, Dan. Yeah. Right. It's—it's it's your favourite yeah. chord. Yeah. Not, I mean, sometimes it has a ninth on it. You know. Yeah. There oh, it is. Oh, goodbye, Mr. Bond. It's <laughs> yeah. really. Yeah. yeah, it's that mix of major, minor, and it, you know what? Mm. It's actually there's a lot of similarities to Vertigo and that Bernard mm. Herrmann. Mm. You know, the yeah. sound of mystery. It's really the sound mm. of mystery, and mm. it's just done in a kind of sexy, sexy way with 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 in, in the in, in the Bond theme. Mm. Yeah, right. So I think the idea is with the John Barry, Monty Norman, uh, well contribution is that I I think it has been admitted that John Barry wrote that middle eight section. Yeah. Yeah. So that was his contribution in terms of the melody. Yep. Um, and obviously the arrangement, I think, is pretty much John Barry's. Yeah. And certainly that. Yeah. Yep. That, that's, directly. that's Barry. And I mean, the strongest argument, I think, for that, if not the notes, <laughs> then the arrangement is, is the rest of the Dr. No score. Which really doesn't sound much like that at all. No, and every time, I mean, in the film, um, those of you who remember the film, mm. um, the James Bond theme, like that that recording we just played, is just tracked into so many spots. Yep. And uh, even from Rush with Love, it comes back a few times. It does, yes. And it, it really kind of, it really, especially in Doctor No, it really sticks out compared to the rest of of, of the score. Mm. So should we should we move on to Doctor No, the score then? Um, so I mean, Doctor No, the film is it's the first Bond film, 1962. Um, we're really, you know, at the start of the 60s still. We haven't been into space, you know. Obviously, there's so much of 20th century history to come. We're still definitely in the height of the Cold War. Um, and it's, you know, sort of a, as I, as I said at the start of this episode, I, I like it very much, but it, it would hardly, in, you would think, inspire 23 sequels. But, well, 24 coming up soon with the next one. But uh, it's, you know, it's 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 kind of a, an interesting film, mostly takes place in the Caribbean. Um, so there's a lot of influence um, there. Of course, Ian Fleming wrote most of his Bond books while living in Jamaica. Um, and so there's there's a heavy influence there, and we we sort of hear that reflected in in a lot of uh, Monty Norman's music for the film, um, which is really sort of a smattering of what I guess an English film and TV composer would imagine would be Jamaican pop music at that point. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mont Monty Norman actually flew to Jamaica with the crew, right. and basically him and his wife came along and just stayed in the house and just sort of soaked up the vibe. And I think he actually you know spoke to some local musicians potentially even recorded some mm. and um, yeah, really just absorbed the vibe of, of that, of that particular part of the world. And it, yeah, it really came through in the music mm. and a lot of it acts as, as source music. There's a lot of songs he wrote yep. Yep. Um, or sort of, you know, contributed to with, with the local musicians um, that, that play, you know, during dance sequences in the film and stuff like that. Mm. Um, you know, and do we get a sort of, do we get a, a main title song of sorts in this? Um, with, with, the, with the three blind mice thing? Yeah. So, I mean, why don't we hear three blind mice right now? Because it also acts as kind of a narrator to, yeah, the, it, to this scene. It, it sort it, of tells us what's, what's happening as three blind Jamaican men turn out to be assassins. <laughs> <laughs> and the music, the music with the lyrics tells us what's happening. So, here it is, three blind mice. Thank you. 
blind mice in a row Three blind mice, there they go Marching down the street, single file To a calypso beat all the while They're looking for the cat The cat that swallowed the rat They want to show that cat the attitude of three blind mice And that's sort of quite characteristic of a lot of the rest of the, the film's music, with the exception being that this song acts as narrator, really, yeah. essentially. <laughs> uh, because, you know, in, in the rest of the film, we get uh, songs like uh, Jump Up is played as, I think, a source cue uh, in one scene. All the people down Kingston Town, you know, all the people go jump up. Waving arms about, weaving in and out, it's so easy to jump up. Take a pretty girl, make a whirl, and then both begin again, jump up. Hold her very tight, then for all the night, you'll be doing the jump up. Together now, jump up, jump up, to make a bump up, bump up, to make a jump up. Uh, and that is, I suppose, in contrast, there, there are some more, I guess, dramatic scenes um, yeah there's a there's a few more sort of you know actual kind of one of a better word score cues hmm. um one of the the great ones that i always i always i just can't not laugh at it is when um uh sean connery has that 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 giant tarantula crawl over him you know and hmm. um and he kills it at the end with his shoe hmm. and it's so comical because the auction's like wank 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 like you know, when he every time he hits it with his shoe, uh, mm. is it his shoe? Yeah, think, yeah. yeah. It's, it's I mean, it's, it's, like a, it's an orchestral hit. Yeah, at the same it's time. The, the Mickey Mousing approach. To- totally, but to it's scoring. just a bit sort of over overdone. But here's a bit of the cue, uh, which is um, yeah, that sort of death of the tra- tarantula. <laughs> yeah, it was a lovely spider. No, yeah. <laughs> no spiders are lovely. Uh, but I mean, as well as that, I mean, there's kind of a mid-ground as well between that that quite, um, I suppose, orchestral score and the the source music, and that we get all this this kind of unusual, um, quite atonal sort of music for the sort of more. Um, oh gosh, I don't know how to describe it. When the islanders, the locals, think that a, a dragon is. Yeah, there's a bit of mystery around yeah. what, what is this creature tormenting people, you know, and they believe yeah. it's like almost like some spirit god dragon thing, which yeah. just, you know, the guys with this sort of dodgy tank with a picture of a dragon painted on the side. And a flamethrower, yeah. And yeah. a flamethrower, that's right, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, and we get this this sort of, you know, again, quite different music.
So just, you know, the, the really the only melodic or harmonic material there is just the guitars running up um, yeah. and down a scale. But it, I mean, you know, and it has a certain, it works with sort of the whole primitive na- nature and stuff. Hmm. But look, I mean, uh, yeah, to me, Dr. No is not a score that I, I revisit often. And, no. and it's certainly, you know, like you said. I quite like some of the Jamaican, quote unquote Jamaican tunes. Yeah, but, look, no, they're, they're, they're hmm. fine. But look, as, a, as a score, as a dramatic score, hmm. it's certainly... It doesn't, you know, it doesn't sound like it's going to spawn twenty-four no. sequels of dangerous debonair martini drinking guy in a, in a tuxedo, you know, bedding ladies left, right, and centre, and killing villains you know, with not. ease. Mm. Um, so, you know, and a lot of things in Doctor No were were a proving ground. They were they hadn't quite kind of taken off yet, mm. and it really took you know throughout the whole Connery era to to develop that. But uh, look, it's it's great to to know where it all started. Mm. You know, really. So, I mean, back in the day when there were cranking out a new Bond film every year pretty much which was for a while uh, imagine that at the moment it's about every sort of three or four years at yeah. most um, but now so you go from 1962 with Doctor No to 1963 with From Russia With Love which I think actually goes a long way to cementing if not all the Bond characteristics, then a certain kind of Bond movie. I kind of feel like the only two Bond movies are either From Russia With Love or Goldfinger. Yeah. So but, but I think between those two, yeah. everything was put into place. E- exactly. Yeah. So with From Russia With Love, you get the sort of a, a bit more serious, a bit more action, um, sort of, you know, a bit more stealth, a bit more sort of dark, um, you know, you know, supporting characters dying and And, and, and Sean Connery isn't dressed in shorts the entire yeah, film either. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> in like a ripped t-shirt. But, but I think he is using a toupee from, from this film onwards. Uh, or possibly oh, gold, Goldfinger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I knew he had one in Diamonds Are Forever. No, um, no, no. It was earlier well, than that, was it? Well before, wow. well before Diamonds okay. Are Forever. So, but yeah, we're talking about, about the music, that. Dan. Yeah. <laughs> but you're wrecking but, everything, yeah. Dan. I, I will yeah. say that From Russia With Love is probably my favourite Bond film, to be honest. Okay. Well, um, and, yeah. and we should say that really, I mean, um, from this forward onwards, uh, at least for a while, John Barry got the gig as composer. Yes. And this was his first one to write the entire score, um, with the exception of the title theme, mm. which was provided by Matt. Lionel Bart, mm. who had just come off a massive hit from a f- little known musical called Oliver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and was, was uh, yeah, really flavor of the month. And uh, I think he was quite good friends with Barry, actually, you know, in that mm. sort of London, London scene in the 60s. Man, mm. that have been fun, wouldn't yeah. it? <laughs> Parties and cocktails. Mm. And um, and, it and was sung by Matt Munro. Oh yes, mm. yeah. And and this really is is the beginning of the whole kind of. And look, we're not going to touch much on the theme songs because they they could warrant their own podcast in itself. Mm. But really, yeah, from Rush with Love was the first one to cement really having a strong a strong title song. Although it doesn't actually appear. Um, sort of sung properly until the, the end credits of the film. Mm, that's right, yeah. Uh, oh, it does play on a radio whilst he's um, yeah, fornicating with a lady. <laughs> that's in, unlike a, a, In a boat somewhere. <laughs> well, <there you> go. <laughs> uh, But yeah, it really makes its appearance in, in the end credits. But, you know, mm. it's, it's the first really film to have a, a song written for it. Thank you. 
So that melody there is the, is the song from Russia with yes. Love. Yes, yes. So that's Lionel Butts' uh, tune, um, you know, orchestrated and sort of integrated into a, into a sort of fanfare and score and stuff by Barry. And mm. instantly, I mean, it's... Yeah, it's, that's there, Bond. There's, yeah, there's Bond. Yeah. Um, in one film and in one kind of cue, it sort of is so transformed. Yeah. You know, there's the, there's the, there's the, the brash horns, there's the lyrical line, there's sensuousness. Mm. There's sort of everything that the Bond film started to kind of take on mm. really is, is embodied what is, what is that genre? Hmm. I mean, it's yeah. so self-contained, you know, I... I mean, there's so many different, like you say, there are all these different elements sort of smushed together. I mean, mm. it feels like that idea of the, the spaghetti western, you know, the Morricone music where he's taken yeah. all of these different elements from different genres and, mm. and just mashed them together and made it its own thing. And, mm. and, you know, you can't think of a western without thinking of Morricone music. There's something about spy music now where it is almost impossible to, you know, you think of the modern examples, The Incredibles, um, which I know mm. isn't sort of spies, but a similar idea, sure, yeah. uh, Mission Impossible. You know, all those things feel you know, Austin Powers, um, <laughs> even though it's a spoof of. But it everything feels like that now. Um, mm. I mean, is it coming from another genre, or is it its own genre now? Well, it's interesting. I think it's a combination of a few, and it's a combination of, of, of probably, you know, the slightly strange musical interests or unusual interests of Monty Norman with Dr. No being passed, I guess, through the big band swing expertise of John Barry, where you get, I mean, essentially, you know, the, the Bond guitar is a surf guitar. Which yeah. makes no sense. Yeah, yeah, it's a big t- surfer music sort yeah, of vibe. Yeah, 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 it just makes no sense at all. Mm. But it's it's just so effective that people obviously don't think of the Bond guitar as all. Well. There's Bond getting his surf on again, although he doesn't die another day, much to the <laughs> the deep regret of, I think, everyone. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think people hear it and they go, that's the Bond guitar. Or, or even more so, they think it's a spy sound. Yeah. That, okay. that, you know, that sort of that um, tremolo on a, on a guitar, on a sort of angular, lots of treble on the, on the guitar sound mm. gets that real sort of spy yeah. sound. And, and what's the keyboard in the background there? It's mm. like it's a Wurlitzer yeah. or an organ or a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, if you go back and, you know, rewind the podcast, we won't play it again. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you go back and have a listen, there's these sort of like stabs of, of accompaniment and I'm pretty confident it's like a, it's a, an organ, like a Hammond organ or it's a Wurlitzer or it's a something electronic keyboards, yep. I guess. Yep. Um, mm. But yeah, it's cool. And I think also really important is the fact that this theme's in a minor key and so mm. many of the great Bond themes are in a minor key, you know, to help evoke that kind of, you know, that mystery element in there. And also, you know, I mean, I think this is one of the amazing things is that I would say a good 70% of the Bond themes play with that moving uh, in, a, in a chromatic way between three notes above Usually yeah. above the fifth, or, or and they'll often integrate it into the tune. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, just somewhere in there, and yeah. almost. I mean, it's almost like a, you know, um, it is like a gift. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that every composer just like you know write a song, but just here's three notes, and yeah. like you mm. can write anything, put them in, yeah. and yeah. all of a sudden it just like shh, yeah. it sucks you back into even that in that main universe. melody. You get that little gesture to it from Russia yeah. with love. Da, yeah. da. It almost it yeah. doesn't, but it, yeah. it almost could do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. So, I mean, but, you know, I think there's so many other John Barry characteristics there. Not just John Barry, but John Barry Bond characteristics in there that are just 
bond. <laughs> yeah. yeah, even in that those opening moments. I mean, for me, it's the percussion and the brass that does it. The, yep. That are, that are combined. I mean, we see we'll see some unusual use of percussion throughout the Barry era, but you know, right at the start with the I mean, it's a little bit dorky actually. It's, yeah. I mean, for the time, it probably would have been quite cool, but to me, it's a little like. It's just so straight-faced yeah. with the use of percussion that it, it's, it's I don't know, it's it's a little bit dated now, but yep. um, it's very idiosyncratically John Barry, James Bond. And, you know, starting a real tradition, especially mm. in the next few films, Goldfinger and Thunderball, of having an opening title song that just like, just starts with a wallop to the face. Yep. You know, it's like, what about them? It's great, isn't it? Absolutely. And so what we also get with From Russia With Love is James Bond's theme. Not that one <laughs> that we've already heard. <laughs> oh, the other one, the 007 theme. The 007 theme, which is one that John Barry in particular uses. I, I'm actually not sure if any other composer uses this except for Barry. I don't think. I've always wondered if like David Arnold would bring it back. I um, really wish he would. But it, yeah. again, it is quite dated uh, in some ways. Um, but it works wonderfully in these early films. And, and John Barry, of course, has scored by far the most James Bond films. Um, I actually forget the number, but it's it's about eight or nine, I think, that yeah. he did. Um, and this is his theme for Bond called 007 that he introduces in From Russia With Love and uses time and time again. Just so jaunty. <laughs> it totally is. Yeah. I mean, is it, it, it's, it's dance. It's like a dance. Yeah. Um, is it, you know, it's not a cha-cha-cha or whatever. I mean, what, do you know what, what, what dance? What the rhythm yeah, is. Yeah, what the rhythm no, is. I don't. Yeah. Do but he did use it in Dances with Wolves. Oh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. But, but to yeah. me, what's, what's interesting about this track is that it, it, feels, so, it feels so English. And mm. whilst, you know, the main Bond theme is dark and mysterious and sort of a bit dangerous and sexy, forgive me, Brits, but it doesn't kind of sound British. Yeah. It sounds more kind of European yep. in, in, in nature. Whereas this is more like you get to hear, I mean, he's Commander Bond. Yes. It feels more nautical, like a sort of, you know, yep. um, almost like a sort of military style. Um, but it's sort of boys' own adventure. Y- yeah. So, I mean, I think it's fantastic and he uses it time and time again. But it is like, gosh, I'd really like to see David Arnold or somebody bring that back. But it would be difficult because I think... you it's so today, major key. Today's it's so audience, positive and happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they'd be sort of going, what the hell? Like, what on earth just happened with the music? Yeah. Something yeah. like that came I in, think unless so. you got the reference, you'd probably be, oh, this, this feels a bit... 1960s. I mean, there's a real juxtaposition between that vibe and the the you know the the main title theme mm. or that James what we always refer to as the James Bond theme. Mm. Uh, yeah, and you know I wonder therefore whether the James Bond theme ultimately refers to the universe in which he inhabits, and by that I mean spies and mm. and espionage and intrigue. And and this, like you said, is is the jaunty James Bond yeah. off to do his yeah. thing, sort of mission in progress. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because mm. I, I think that's. James Bond's vibe has changed dramatically, certainly with um, you know the recent films. But 
those early, I mean, it's a goofy, and we, we talked about them being very straight faced, but mm. I mean, they're goofy films. Yeah. You know, he's, he's suave and sophisticated, but at the same time, he's a goof and it's presented mm. in mm. a sort of a tongue in cheek way. And, uh, you know, this theme sort of represents that, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, even looking at a film like From Russia With Love, I mean, it is, um, the producers admitted, fairly heavily influenced by Hitchcock's film North by Northwest. Ah, right. And you can sort of see, I think, you know, in North by Northwest, Bernard Herrmann provides us with a, um, uh, what's it? It's a Fandango? Fandango. Fandango. Um, Yeah, yeah. With that similar sort of off kilter, off to see the world, and it's going to be dangerous, but we're going to have a lot of fun while we're at it. And that's definitely the vibe, I think, of these Mm, early films, and it's reflected musically. Now, what we also get in these early era um, scores is the development of, of the Bond sound in a couple of other ways, particularly with the Barry sound. And we get these really idiosyncratic action cues, which is, I think, one of the, the major contributions of Barry um, that really can't be done by anybody else in the same way. Um, and by that, I mean, I'll, I'll play you this, this tune, and this is from... Uh, the track is called Girl Trouble. I, uh, this is from the Gypsy Camp, I think. When oh, where the two gypsies have the fight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this is this is the idea of action music back then, which will, you know, by the time we've got to the end of the third episode, the, the idea of action music today is completely different. Um, so this is what it sounded like in uh, 1963. I mean, that's idiosyncratically John Barry to me yeah. in a number of ways. The, again, the use of percussion and these constant driving rhythms, these ostinatos, but also the way that it's kind of a repeated pattern. And here it's a very short pattern, which is why it sounds so sort of staccato and in your face, I think. But I mean, John Barry, you know, I think a lot of his music is composed in, in four or eight bar patterns where, you know, sort of sets up a harmony and, or, or, you know, a little ostinato and then we'll do variations over the top. Yeah. Um, but also the use of woodwinds. And, yep. um, and that, that doubling of um, high violins, flute and xylophone. Yeah. I mean, he uses that through to the last Bond film, Living Daylights. There's yep. like bits that have that exact same instrumentation, you know, over kind of muscular brass, mm. sort of dead down low. That's his style, you know, yeah. and it's and you can hear the origins of it right, right back in the early days. And I mean, you can hear, I guess, the suspense to that tune. I mean, to that to that cue. But I mean, if you were to put that in a film today over an action scene, people will be I rip you to shreds, confused, Dan. <laughs> very confused as to what you've done. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, like the other the other thing that I think we get is this. You know, John Barry, and we've already heard an example of this with the opening titles, but this all incorporation of the theme song into the score. And so we get an example of that where we hear just a lovely little snippet of the From Russia With Love melody in the track called The Death of Grant. I mean, yep, again... No, no real fanfare about it. It's just a lovely little recall to, you know, from Russia with love. Yep. <laughs> um, and, you know, done on, I, I guess that's trombones probably. Yep. Yep. 
um, just very sort of stately. I mean, it becomes, um, you know, we, we often talk in these podcasters, uh, it's this person's theme and that person, you know, mm. that leitmotif mm. uh, system. But, I mean, this really is just constant signatures, Mm. You know, they're, they're um, brands that are sort of thrown over the top. And this film's brand yeah. is that, yep. that melody. Yep. And they manage to sort of take the elements of it and then just weave it into to everything. So, to remind you, hey, this is the yeah. this film, you know. Yeah, this is Bond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's For cool. sure. And what, one thing we haven't really talked about yet, which becomes a massive staple in the films, is mm. the sort of the location music or yes. the sort of the... The traveling music. I mean, mm. like we talked about in our, I think it was a Raiders episode, how yep. Williams had all those great transition sequences where Indy will go off on this adventure. I mean, mm. Bond is all about that. I mean, you know, when you look at the next Bond film, it's like, where will he go? Yeah. Mm. And can I say at this point, in 24 films, including all the offshoots, James <laughs> Bond has never been to Australia. Yeah, but never. Look, counterpoint. Ethan Hawke went to Australia in Mission Impossible 2 and look how terribly that turned out. <laughs> so, <laughs> maybe, maybe it's for the are best. Are we not exotic enough for you, yeah. 007? Uh, but, but it's true though. I we mean, things that can kill you. I mean, there might be on the ground and spiders and snakes and stuff. Yeah. But, you know. It, it is, it, the, po the point you're making is, is a fantastic one though because the, the first sort of generation of Bond films, the first 10 or 15 <laughs> even, um, are, you know, part of the whole appeal is to be able to kind of experience a kind of virtual travel because travel is not as widely available in the 60s, 70s, even the 80s as it is today. And so part of the way that people experience the rest of the world was through cinema and Bond is if nothing if not a great travelogue series yeah. and you get that you get that with the books as well where there are these fairly lengthy sections given over to well first Bond got on the plane and then it stopped at Bali and then it stopped at Fiji and then you know because of course you know back in those days as well when the books were being written you didn't have a, a single flight around the world trip so you do this island hopping thing does mm. he ever stop in Australia in the books actually I've read I about think, four of them but I think there. he might stop at Sydney at one point I'm wow. not a hundred percent sure but but only only um, in passing. Yeah, never never gets off. If uh, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But, you know, I mean, the other great thing about this is, of course, you know, Bond gets off at the airport in, in, in you know, Bali and, you know, downs 15 martinis and then gets back on the plane and has, you know, 10 more. And then, you know, and it's just like... At some point, actually, I remember at one point reading one of these descriptions and just thinking, how is this man alive? <laughs> like, ha like uh, honestly, with the level of description that Ian Fleming has, has given to his drinking habits while on the, the long haul flight, it's poor. I, yep. I'm actually going to have another sip of my martini, which I have in my hand it's here. It's true. Whilst you play the next cue, Nick turned up in a tuxedo and with three pre-prepared martinis in jars for us. So, <laughs> this is... Honestly, all class, people, all class. It's, it's true, people. Yeah. It's true. I wasn't lying in my intro there. Yeah. He, he is in a tuck. So, we, we are going to have to take a photo, Dan, and yeah. we'll have to attach it to these episodes. I think so. Because this is the most ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> I had to remind Nick that this was, in fact, a podcast and um, perhaps his effort <laughs> had gone to waste. But yeah. it's, it's amusing me greatly, yeah. let's put it that way. But... We can't let this pass without hearing some location music or some traveling music, really. In Russia, in From Russia With Love, my favorite cue for traveling is, is called the Zagreb Express, which um, I would actually love to go on. This is, you know, the, the way that Bond works with its travel inspiration. I, I went on the train. I arrived into Istanbul on the train, but I haven't quite made it to Zagreb on the train. So, I've done half the From Russia With Love journey. Um, but this cue, I mean... Andrew, I'm sure you'll be a fan with your with your churning wheels of music. How dare you, Dan? Um, you found my secret. I have. Mm -hmm. This this cue sounds like a train to me. Great. 
And there's that. <laughs> it's like wow. a, it's like the Hogwarts Express, like thirty years earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I what I love about that was talking about brands. I mean, they've even in a movie that's so early on in the franchise, they've even made a brand out mm. of the rhythm of like it just goes and they're not the same notes. Is it? Is it? Is it that? Because I think it could be, or is it from Russia with love? It's well, maybe the Russia with Love tune is sort of based on the. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's the yeah. it's the same rhythm each mm. time, and it's like a sort of yeah, love child of both. So now <laughs> I'm asking: is the is the Bond vibe not the specific notes? Is it that rhythm now? Da 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 da. Yeah. Da 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 We've, I mean, this is, you know, as I said before, this is really, if From Russia With Love is the sort of serious, suspenseful Bond outing, then Goldfinger is the, you know, do you expect me to talk? You know, I expect you to die, sort of, you know. <laughs> no, Mr. Of, Bond! <laughs> full I of, expect you to die! Yeah, yeah. Full of one-liners, <laughs> full of absurd... Yeah, um, pussy galore. Yeah. I yeah, must be dreaming. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, you know. Sex, jazz, yep. violence. The golden painted girl. This is where exactly. it really just, yeah, mm. into overdrive. Mm-hmm. Mm. And this, I mean, I love this cue. This is Into Miami, which is not quite the beginning of the film, but it's just after the titles. And like, boy, we've, we've got a different musical James Bond already here. And Dan, I'm proven correct again. Yeah. Da 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 I like it. I like it. I think you're onto something, Pogo. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is oh, it's fantastic though. I mean, this is this is if I was going to pick a cue to reflect the sort of swinging James Bond, this would this would be it. Which which is hilarious actually, because not long after this cue is played, James Bond he makes a, a quip about the only good way to listen to the Beatles is with earmuffs on. Um, <laughs> so, you know, right. he's sort of, you know, positioning himself as a as a bit of an old fashioned uh, yeah. you know, cultural man, I suppose. Mm. And the camera work here is great. You know, it starts off with like a um one of those planes holding like a banner, yeah. you know, pans down to like the, you know, the the beautiful sunshine in Florida. The mm. girls diving into the into the water, you know, yeah. the bikinis. It's just like it's it's, it's like paradise. You know, <laughs> um, it's everything you sort of you know you just imagine Frank Sinatra and yeah. D. Martin, all those cool cats just hanging around, <laughs> mm. sipping cocktails. I mean, can life get 
any better. Yeah. You could easily imagine yeah. uh, Sinatra like actually leading into a song with that kind of opening. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But of course, it mm. goes down to Sean Connery in like the dorkiest baby blue toweling. <laughs> Do you remember that little um, yeah, yeah. Um, dressing gown he has? The, oh, the, the short dressing gown? Very with trendy. Yeah, Very Terry trendy. Terry toweling. <laughs> I mean, not really, you know, it's hard to know, or at least it's hard for me to know. Would that have been taken as a joke at the time? Oh, I don't think so. No. Or would it have been very cool? Yeah, I think, very I think cool. that's yeah, okay. very... I don't think there's any element it's of still cool. poking fun. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do, do you not think that amazing alto saxophone solo is is, is not cool? No, no, no. I mean the, the visual. The vi- oh, the visual. visual. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm, oh, that's a different question, actually. Mm. Yeah. Look, I think I think perhaps to an extent there's an element of, of kind of punning or excess, I yeah, think, okay. especially in this early era... I mean, Bond has an awkward relationship to America. In whenever a Bond film is set in America, it's a little bit different to yeah, the right. Bond films that are set in Europe or, or Asia or you know anywhere else, um, where America's never going to be quite as exotic. But it's sort of like he's bringing his British Ness. sensibilities mm. to to the states exactly, yep. and so it's always kind of playing that uncomfortableness. Again. Yeah. Okay. So so I think I think perhaps the film setting is a little bit different, but the music I think is very straight faced. But I mean, I guess what we also get with Goldfinger is, 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 I mean, From Russia With Love is great, but as you said, it's not played over the opening titles. Yep. With Goldfinger, we get, of course, the great Shirley Bassey singing probably the most iconic Bond theme. And, yeah. and it was the first time that Barry got the chance to do everything musically. Yeah. So he got the gig writing the theme song. Uh, as well as the score and you know this is the first time we we really get a true integration of the melody from the opening titles within within the score Mm. so he's yeah it's it's, to me musically goldfinger is the first one that that kind of cements everything Mm. um and we're not going to hear it are we nick because i was ready to sing along goldfinger (laughs) well we all know it i mean it's you know it's a famous It's the most blaring trumpets and yeah. stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. But look, I think we all know the song very well. So maybe we'll play a bit. Um, this is the cue called Alpine Drive, where he's driving through the beautiful Swiss Alps mm. in that sexy Aston Martin DB5 <laughs> um, with revolving number plates and the ejector yeah. seat and all that oil slick. Yep. Uh, remember those? <laughs> um, but yeah, we get a, real, a nice kind of fairly romantic, actually, mm. version. Um, mm. And we're starting to hear some of Barry's romantic writing with the sort of... You know, left hand, sorry, uh, you know, bottom end cellos and stuff. Beautiful, mm. broad melody, um, you know, of, of the Goldfinger tune. Let's hear it. Lush romantic writing, which is which is really another hallmark of Barry's Bond music, and really of Bond music post Barry as well. Um, you know the, these beautiful string melodies with 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 horns and maybe trombones, sort of adding a lush support sort of to that. There, yeah, mm, mm. and the harmonies are great. They're, they're kind of unusual. You know, you kind of got these. That's kind of fine. 
there's a few like surprises mm. in there. Yeah. It's actually an extraordinarily difficult song to, to figure out by ear. Yeah. I, I've tried to do that on guitar and I get lost a couple of times. <laughs> it's, it's quite difficult. Yeah, it's certainly not like a one, four, five, mm, something. Mm, yeah, there's mm. a few unusual things in there. Which, which I mean, a lot of Bond songs are a one, four, five, sort of quite simple. Sometimes, yeah. But, but this is not that. No, no. Um, I think, I mean, maybe the other thing that we would just, I mean, just quickly point out is, again, more idiosyncratic Barry action music uh, with the, the, the raid on Fort Knox. This is this is a fairly extended sequence while um, Pussy it, Galore's yeah. Flying Circus drops the nerve gas, which isn't really nerve gas, as we later find out. Spoilers at the end of the film. Um, and, you know, these long <laughs> shots of people falling over, yeah. <laughs> um, which are kind of hilarious. I believe they were achieved by, by that, like, recruited the local army. You told them to go and stand around. And then when they blew the whistle, everybody was just supposed to fall over. <laughs> and that, that, you know, that's the, the extent of the, the, the mechanical behind the scenes <laughs> of, yeah. of these, of these um, sequences. And, and the music's quite kind of relentless and, and mm. repetitive. And it's sort of, um, yeah, in, in, in works with that really drawn out sequence mm. that, that it is. Continues in that fashion for some time. Oh, well, yeah. Can yeah. you imagine a cue like that in a film these days? No, just straight out. No way. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just it's just two chords, and it just mm. it just builds it and builds it and builds it, and everyone mm. gets a look in. I think the the naked snare drum as well is just yeah not something you'd throw anything. You know, I mean, it's really the only. It's, I think there's yeah, maybe some wood block or something in there as yeah. well. But it's you know the snare drum is really the the key percussive element of that cue. And gosh, I just, you know, you wouldn't do that today, I don't think. No. Shall we move on to uh, another film? Yeah. So I think we should continue. A year later, Dan, I don't know if you know, but they <laughs> made movies every year. They did. <laughs> they absolutely did. And and this one, actually, so we've got Thunderball, which is actually an interesting sidebar. So this is 1965, and this is the one that uh, the script was was written by Ian Fleming for the film. So this is the first one where it's not based on a book. Ian and Fleming Fleming wrote, had passed away by this stage. Uh, but he, he co-wrote the, the script. The treatment, yeah. Um, with uh, another- Kevin McClory. Kevin, Kevin McClory, that's right. And um, that meant that McClory, well, co-owned the rights, as he alleged for many years, to what he thought was the Bond franchise, but uh, later went to court and the, I think the result was that he owned the rights to this film. This film. And so that's where Never Say Never Again comes from because it's a remake of Thunderball, um, which is not an official, official by being, you know, it's not an Eon Productions. produced. Yep. Um, but nonetheless stars Sean Connery in the 80s, very much looking 
a bit old for the part, I have to say. Um, <laughs> and Rowan Atkinson. And Rowan Atkinson. That's a Q, Q type figure, isn't he? Yeah, he's not Q, but he's, mm. he's kind of similar. Mm. Mr. Bond. Mr. Yeah. Bond. <laughs> uh, but what we're talking about is not that film. We're talking about Thunderball from 1965, which we can talk about the score. But actually, I kind of want to talk about the theme song for a moment. Uh, because we have the very famous Tom Jones Thunderball song, which probably most of our listeners will know. Well, maybe we should give it a, a quick blast. She always runs while others walk. And again, you can hear the legacy of the Bond theme in there with the wah, 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 wah. Yeah. Yeah, it's right um, in there, isn't it? <laughs> absolutely. Right up up front and central. And and so, this was actually... Not the original not song. Not the original song. Um, and, and that was because the original song, they decided, well, I, you know, what John Barry has said is that they wanted Goldfinger on, on steroids or some version of that. And so, he churned out Thunderball, I think, even a bit sarcastically, sort of like, you want Goldfinger? I'll yeah, give you it Goldfinger. <laughs> um, but the original was a song called Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. <laughs> which was uh, an Italian journalist's nickname for Bond, which I think is very fitting. <laughs> uh, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was recorded um, a couple of times, actually. Um, and it, here's the, I'll just play you very quickly, the Shirley Bassey version. And one of the reasons why I wanted to bring that up is because it's this theme that appears throughout the movie in its, you know, non-diegetic score rather than the Tom Jones Thunderball ah, theme. interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, if we go to a cue like Bond meets Domino... Um, we can actually hear a, a version of this song, this melody, popping up uh, rather than the, the, the main Thunderball title. And all those sort of explosive shots of like helicopters flying over the sea, mm. you always get that. Mm. You know, some great chords there. Yeah, really. and to me, the harmony in there is more representative of, the, of that Bond. You know, it's yeah, it's, mm. it's kind of jazzy, but there's a lot of mystery. Mm. And some sophistication too. It's yeah. Some sophistication. Can yeah, we absolutely? Can we touch on the lyrics for both of those songs? Sure. There is no subtlety. Oh, it's it's no. like, um, I mean, because a lot of the other Bond songs, they're you know 
I guess that the earlier ones are telling a story. It's like mm. a narrative um, mm. being told. But certainly the more modern ones, there it's a little more esoteric and um, a little more song-like, mm. for want of a better term. But mm. this is like he's a guy who does this. When other men <laughs> yeah. walk, he runs. You know? um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, tall and he's dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like a shark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it looks really, for trouble. You know, yeah. really is the ballad of um, of James Bond, isn't it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> look. I was going to maybe leave this for for a little while, but oh my God, I have to play you this. So, there's a third Thunderball song. Do you know this? Oh my God. Okay. Yep. This was one that was was unsolicited apparently, (laughs) that was sent into them and they declined to use it. I'm sure you'll recognize the the singer. Let's, let's, Let's give it a whirl. And all the world can hear it call They shudder at the fury of the mighty thunderball Thunderball Jackery yuck so, uh, now, are you sure he didn't confuse this song with like the spaghetti western? <laughs> yeah, no, had, yeah. Did they come out by then? All the uh, yeah, ones? yeah, yeah. They were early 60s, yeah. so they would be out by then. Yeah. And it's like, uh, guys, I think you sent this to the wrong studio. Yeah. <laughs> it's over in Italy. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, this is, of course, Johnny Cash. Yep. yep. And I mean, if you're after the Ballad of Thunderball, I that, mean, there it is. <laughs> that, that, that's that's the song for you. I love that. Uh, you know, people may not believe us, but that was not in our our. I had no idea that was coming. Oh, then, I was so saving yeah. that up. Yeah, I was saving it up as a special. That's so surprise. perfect that you had that lined up. Yeah, yeah. But look, I, I suppose one of the one of the things to talk about with the score to Thunderball, apart from the interesting use of Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang as the melody, is is kind of the instrumentation because a lot of this film is underwater. Um, mm, yeah, extended sequences yeah. that are actually. I mean, I, I again really like Thunderball, but boy, if you want ten minutes of people that you can't really see swimming around <laughs> very slowly, possibly kind of trying to fight each other in very slow motion, and I do. Yeah, well, have I got the film? For you? <laughs> um, because I mean, the climax in particular is is very slow. Yeah, very <laughs> slow fighting underwater, um, and. But I mean, the the instrumentation that Barry chooses just gives those watery, sequences something beautiful. Yes, such sort of like shimmery vi- yeah, vibraphones and low flutes, like yep. lots of them. Yeah, it's really yeah. So I mean, here's a track which I think is really illustrative of Barry's underwater musical palette for Thunderball. I mean, yeah, that's very typical of again these repeated patterns. The da 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 da, and later on, 
with the fight sequences. I think that's, you know, possibly on the, the is it a xylophone or a marimba in there? Um, and then the flutes and yeah. possibly a bass flute doing that yeah. as well. And it really like, almost sounds like harpsichord. Yeah. Bling, bling, down the yeah. bottom there. I, I'm pretty sure, yeah, it must be harpsichord, yeah. yeah. And, you know, these endless sort of like... Da, 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 yeah, swirling. Sort of water currents. Mm. Yeah. And so on. And yeah. I th- like to me, like uh, the music of Thunderball really in the sort of all those swirly bits and I'll play a track here really was like the beginning of that almost totally overblown epic badass villainy kind of stuff you know mm. where we start getting things like Spectre these big kind of evil Absolutely. organizations and I'll play you a bit from Thunderball leading into another more recent film which I mean it's almost such a close pastiche that that's a ripoff and I'm sure you'll know what it's from great That, of course, was uh, George S. Clinton's music for Austin Powers. Yeah, I was just about to say. I, I, I thought you were about to tell me that that was actually a Bond cue. Mm. And, it could be. And um, and I was like, oh, God, Austin Powers just ripped it off note yeah. for note. Yeah. No, okay, it was Austin Powers, right. Yeah. Okay. The second yeah. bit, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. But, I mean, you can see totally where the yeah. DNA and, and probably mm. like the temp cue for that bit was. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Just with the swirly stuff and the overblown brass, you know, um, just really screams of, of, you know, that kind of, Cold War over the top villain. The Austin Powers use of that kind of music probably, in actual fact, makes the Bond stuff look a bit kind of sillier these days and yeah. overblown. Possibly, yeah. if you know, if the piss wasn't taken out of it like that, <laughs> um, maybe yeah. we wouldn't see it as as so mm. kind of ha <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. They, they really prove though that the the instrumentation, those sorts of interval leaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, mm. it really proves that that is the sound of that genre yeah. and therefore you can do whatever you want yeah. within it yep. um, and it will scream that genre and, of mm. course, the more overt you make it, the more comical it becomes. Yeah. Um, yeah, larger than life. So, yeah. Is that a major seventh in there? Yeah. Yeah. So, again, like quite unusual in terms yep. of, I mean, it's the biggest interval you can have Yeah. Um, pretty much. So, yeah, that uh, interesting the, the use there more minor major sevenths Dan. yeah more yeah more minor major the yeah. sound of mystery look, yeah we the can, sound of Dan we can, we can patent that yeah <laughs> um, well look if we're talking about great villainous music I mean look I think the next film You Only Live Twice which is 1967 we skipped the year what yeah. happened to 1966 did <laughs> yeah. they slack off yeah what, I mean, probably what was wrong with them <laughs> yeah um, uh, so we get I think probably which is which is really where the ultimate in 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 villainous over the top Bond music comes from, um, where you get again this build on this sort of 
um, shimmering music, but this time we're in space. So this is the opening sequence where uh, <laughs> a villainous space capsule eats another space capsule in very <laughs> slow motion. It's a great sequence. Um, <laughs> this track is called Capsule in Space and it starts restrained and ends up the most over the top you've ever heard. It's great. mention a cool little rhythmic thing dan mm -hmm. that happens in that go for it uh there are two types of uh subdivision of the beat going on so what i mean mm -hmm. by that mm -hmm. is that you know you have a beat one two three four one two three four and initially it is there are, there are generally speaking um and this is sort of the you know generalizing but uh normally beats are often broken up uh, is as lots of two, so mm -hmm. one and two and three and four and ba 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 ba, mm -hmm. or they can be broken up as lots of three. So ba ba da ba ba da one two three one two three one two three one two three. So it starts off in that that sort of three. Is it ba ba da 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 one two three one two three one two three one two three. Now that continues on, so it's all swirling around, and it's really interesting. And those threes, you know, it feels like we we talk about the waltz and things in threes being sort of dance like and swirling and so on. But then over the top, 
it doesn't continue that. So in, in a lot of music, as soon as you, you set up the fact that you're going to divide everything by three, then melodies become groups of three and, and everything follows the same rules. This actually then uh, superimposes or juxtaposes or whatever you want to call it. Um, the beat is being divided by two over mm. the top. So... And those two things juxtaposed together, mm. it really um, actually brings out and makes its both elements stronger mm. because they're not, they're actually working against each other yeah. the whole time. So you've got the swirling that's sort of creating the mood. You've got this uh, brass that's sort of totally another character mm. um, and they're actually not working together. You know, they really are sort of, they're clashing and therefore there's tension and and it's creating all of this sort of mood through, I believe, the uh, different subdivisions of the beat. Mm. Whereas if you had played those brass bits with groups of three, all of a sudden everything's locking in together and it feels mm. like it's working together harmonious. But mm. I don't know, just that's what struck me as I was listening oh, to totally. that. Oh, yeah. totally. And I mean, listening there, to me, this sums up what is so great about Barry, but also was potentially ultimately his sort of downfall later in his career in that a lot of his ideas are so singular. I mean, that, mm. that is pretty much just one idea that just builds and builds and builds. Yeah. And uh, every time and you think it can't build anymore, it builds It does. More. But that's yeah. sort of all it's really doing. Mm. Maybe these days, you know, directors or whatever demand a bit more complexity from their cues and the action stuff. But Possibly. Um, yeah. And, and poss possibly a bit more moment-to-moment um, -moment reaction. I mean, once, <laughs> once you start that cue... It's sort of not going anywhere until it's finished, so yeah. it's, it's not going to cope with a momentary change in mood or something. Yeah, like that. Yeah, it doesn't pivot on a dime mm. like, like say, Williams would, for yeah. example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. again, those chords are so—they're all nights. Yeah. It's jazz city. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I got to say, I have to play. You know, Austin Powers did another <laughs> great, almost in I think in the same key um, version of this. It's great. cheating a little bit there because I think there was a modulation right at the end. They did. They uh, they contemporized it well, by doing a... gosh. God, Barry would not can't look commit, on that. Can't, can't commit to the, to the one, to one key. Idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the other thing as well is that they, they do actually... Um, all the melody sticks with the groups of three mm. in that one. They don't do the... The, uh, the the duple yeah. the subdivision of two uh, versus that's three. It's, it's not not as good. No, mm. not as good. No, no, no. Mm. They've really copped out on that yeah. one. <laughs> um, I think you know. I mean, as well, like we get another terrific song with this one. This is this is quite unusual in that this one feels a little bit less like Bond uh, in some respects to me. In that it doesn't include the in an obvious way the da, 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 da. so Nancy no. Sinatra's title title tune but it is nonetheless beautifully incorporated into um, the, and it is a bit film. more exotic yeah. um, whether that's the Japanese location or just something about this yeah. you know and this little hook 
I mean, it's just it's so recognisable yeah, straight yeah. away. It's it's beautiful. And, and and you know, again, one of the one of the Bond songs that's really gone on to have a life outside the movie. I think it was sampled by Beyonce at one point, and, sort and of, Robbie Williams used it in his song Millennium or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, it's nicely quoted in the film. This is the the track "Fight at the Kobe Dock." And again, unfortunately, like some of John Barry's cues, you can hear the poor trumpets, you know, Splitting really having notes. having yeah. a hard time yeah. hitting those. That high is notes. a that's a. I'm okay. So they've that's their best take. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's the take that made it. Yeah, there's not only split notes. There's like weird entries. Yeah, yeah, and like they're not finishing at the same time. It's like they had money problems and mm. and they're like, guys, we got one take. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Ran okay, out of wax. For Close the enough. Yeah. Yeah, no. yeah, like it, it's yeah. not good. No, <laughs> I mean it's it's hard stuff though. I don't envy that trumpet player who has to do the octave above everybody else. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, also we get the, the, the really iconic string writing uh, in another cue in Mountains and Sunsets. Which, again, is just such perfect, like, location... Introduction. That's music, actually I what I think. That theme is what I think of when I think of you, you know, you only live twice. Mm. That's the theme. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. You, you hear a bit of those Japanese instruments mm. at the end. Mm. There. Yeah. What, what, what? Exactly. I mean, sp- speaking of which, I suppose we have to play. You know, this is probably of the of John Barry's scores, the one with the most um, quote unquote exotic music. Yeah. Uh, he does include quite a lot of. Uh, you know, again, quote unquote Japanese music. I don't know how authentic it is. There's, of course, again, the deeply regrettable subplot of this film where Bond is given um, a wife. Well, more than that, he's given makeup to become Japanese. Which is <laughs> like, and it's it it's, doesn't really look it, it no, it's look, not it's, very well done. It's Sean Connery. Yeah. <laughs> There's, you know, uh, yeah, it's not really ever going to work, and it's not great. It's I think what what we would call problematic. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, anyway, but but here's the music that accompanies that, which is I actually think quite beautiful, regardless of whether it's you know there's any sort of authentic Japaneseness about it. Certainly using pentatonics. Yeah. Uh, but it's using different pentatonics. 
Yeah. Like the, he's actually changing the pentatonics and mm. bringing in, there's a little pop vibe in there mm. where it just shifts ever so slightly into pop harmony. And they, he swaps the pentatonic, so pentatonic five, five note scale, mm. uh, which is which is um, very prevalent in a lot of um, uh, Eastern music. Um. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's a pentatonic. A, a pentatonic, like, yes. Not like the pentatonic scale. Yeah. It's a pentatonic scale. Um, a, a five note scale, and, and it tends to sort of be, comes up a lot in, in Asian music, I guess. So, you know, by, by invoking that pentatonic, all of a sudden it sounds Eastern straight mm. away. But like I said, he, he actually throws in a little bit of pop, uh, you know, sensibilities into mm. it so that all of a sudden you actually have quite a. Um, well, a melody that's very um, modern, yeah. for want of a better term, even though it's pre still presented within that pentatonic world. So, mm. yeah, it's it, it is. I think it it's is. That, that last chord. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. There. Right. That's that's what. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. that, that's the one that sticks out. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, sure. I don't know why I'm doing that. Um, but the, you know what I love? Every time um, it comes time for you to to sort of you know get get groovy with a uh, with a piece, you go straight into bossa every time. Mm. I mm. Wh where is that coming from, Nick? Let's start analysing your playing. Um, I know <laughs> lifelong love of Jobim. Maybe? Yeah, 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 yeah. Just yeah, no, I, I so it, to answer... It's I the martini guess, talking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, an, to answer your uh, question or, or, you know, reiterate on your statement, hmm. um, uh, Dan, it's certainly Japanese-esque yeah. what is going on and it's sort of enough for the audience to get what's yeah. going on but to keep it still within a modern, hmm. you know, Western sensibility there. So. And look, pr probably it's worth noting when I'm saying this film sort of goes off the deep end a little bit with that makeup sequence, it doesn't go off the deep end anywhere near as much as the book does, which for those of you who've read it, the book is the second last chronologically in order that Ian Fleming wrote. So the, the films are filmed wildly out of order, which is why the, the films and the books actually often don't really bear that much similarity to each other. Um, and You Only Live Twice ends with Bond being mind controlled by the Russians and sort of trying to assassinate um, you know, uh, I think a, a British or American agent, it's been a while since I've read it, um, getting married to, to a, a Japanese woman um, and sort of almost dying and the book fin finishes with him possibly dead probably a secret agent definitely thinking he's actually japanese and and, and 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 that's how the book finishes and it's just sort of like well okay all right maybe the film wasn't so bad in in in, in, in response um now dan whilst um you know whilst i said earlier that uh, James Bond has never been to Australia. Ah. It's been partially <laughs> remedied. Yeah. <laughs> with the next film. It Again, is. two years later. So, mm. Sean Connery had basically said, I've had enough of playing 007. Mm. So, out he went on to do other great things. Well, uh, only for a little while, as we'll mm. find out. Um, but the search began for a new Bond. And That's where right. else would they find one but in Queen Bean? <laughs> Queen Bean, a yeah. suburb or town of uh, New South Wales. Yep. Here in Australia. No, Nick. As as a, a person who has spent some time in Canberra, in Canberra. Oh, is it in ACT? Is it? No, it's not. It's, not? it's in New South Wales, but it's it's the Geelong to Melbourne. Mm. Okay. So Queanbeyan is the is a, a town. It's its own town. It's not a suburb um, mm -hmm. that sits just out of the nation's capital, Canberra. Mm. Canberra. So just a little. Uh, geography exercise lesson for you. And they found good old uh, George Lazenby. <laughs> a, um, 
really a model he was yeah um yeah, yeah. i'm not sure he've had much acting experience no. apart from a few ads no he did few not TV he ads. allegedly convinced them that he had much more acting experience yeah. than he actually and did look, and this is in the era before imdb <laughs> jump online, fact checker and there is a great claim. documentary um hmm. i forget what it was called it came out a couple of years ago hmm. which basically stars george lazenby totally taking the piss out of himself hmm. but but uh it's a fantastic documentary very hmm. funny hmm. really tells a story of, of how he came to be james bond so hmm. i i I can't remember what it is, but we'll... With a franchise like this, I mean, mm. this is massive at this stage, right? Like, they're pumping them out. They're going great. How do you just fool <laughs> yeah. the studio into going, yeah, give me the gig? Yeah. You know, how look, does that happen? I think he look, said stuff like, I can do all my own stunts. Yeah. And there was sort of a macho way that he sort of talked himself into sort of, yeah. I can do it all. Yeah. Don't worry about it. He sort of gave guys. the impression of the character, like, in the way that he made them believe. Yeah, right. Okay. But... I mean, look, it's a pretty good question. <laughs> I mean, I would love to go to Lucasfilm and go like, oh, look, I'm one of Australia's most acclaimed actors. You've got to give me the role of Luke Skywalker in the next <laughs> Star Wars yeah, film. Yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah. Young, young Luke, that's me. Yep. And they'll go, oh, like, he's probably not lying. Yeah, we'll give it a crack. <laughs> yeah, sure. And interestingly, like, <laughs> On Our Majesty's Secret Service is quite polarizing. People either hate it because of Lazenby mm. or they kind of just don't really care much about him and they just love the film yeah. and the story. Look, I, I definitely fall into that latter camp. Yeah. Lazenby is clearly not one of the better Bonds. He's not a good actor at all. But, but a lot of the film, he doesn't yeah. need to act. Yeah. He's, he's doing other stuff, which kind of works. Or there's other, there's enough around him to make yep. it, to make it passable and, and actually quite riveting and entertaining. Yeah. And I mean, I still find it astonishing that they chose this film to basically make him. I mean, it has one of the best Bond, mm. Bond girls, you yeah, know, one of the strongest Tracy. female characters, mm. and like this is the film they choose to like make him get married. I mean, yeah. again, uh, mm. but like for real this time, not mm. not after the fake one in in You and Live Twice, mm. um, and it it really has a sad. sad it does, ending. yeah, yeah. I mean, so uh, actually, I mean, we might as well talk about that because it, it it is a beautiful, like very bittersweet ending where you know Tracy again, spoilers, sorry, is murdered by Blofeld in the in the dying seconds of the film, and it's a yeah. drive by shooting just after they've gotten married, and I think a policeman or somebody comes by and, and sees Bond cradling the dead body of his recent wife, and he says, you know, it's okay, she's just having a rest we're fine we'll be along in a second or something like that um, yeah. we have all the time in the world um, which is a line that they use earlier in the film and the reason that i bring that up is because that's the title of the song so there's actually this song is not played in the opening credits mm. we get a j beautiful john barry arrangement um but with no lyrics no no melody or anything but it's a kick-ass tune in fact that that main title of on a magic secret service it, it is absolutely like we'll, a, we'll the only instrumental really we get yeah yeah for sure but this song is we have we have all the time in the world, and I think it's a really underrated Bond theme. Um, so I, I do I do want to play a little bit of it. But the singer is Louis Armstrong, uh, and this was also his last Louis Armstrong's last hit tune. Oh right, really. sure, yeah, yeah. He died um, shortly after this. Yeah, okay. so um, just we'll hear a little bit of that now. The time in the world, time enough for life to unfold all the precious things love has in store. We have all the love in the world. 
If that's all we have You will find We need nothing more Oh man, Louis Armstrong I'm yeah. reminded time and time again He truly is This is the, the amazing thing about him And perhaps even the amazing thing about jazz vocalists in general mm. Is that technically he actually has a terrible voice Yeah Like it's not There's nothing classically nice about it mm. But for my money, one of the greatest vocalists to have ever lived. Yeah. Uh, certainly in recorded music. <laughs> I yeah. don't know about it before that. <laughs> sure. Um, but there is so much humanity yes. in his voice. Yeah. And, and for a scene like this or for a song like this mm. uh, that's coming off the back of that, that, um, that closing scene, mm. um, there is no more humanity in that voice than you could really get anywhere else. I mean, it's so gorgeous. Um, and, yeah, I and the know, way it's great. used, I think it's used in the middle of the film, almost like a montage yeah, sequence. It is, almost yeah. like Bond dating. Yeah. He's just going mm. on the romantic. Or falling in love, which yeah. we've not well, been shown before. And mm. he's like, you know, mm. he walks along, like he picks up flowers, he gives them mm. to the girl, and they're just like strolling and, and flirting, but in a really, mm. yeah, a loving way, not that mm. kind of chauvinistic, sexist way that we often see it. You know, he's not yeah. betting this woman, he's mm. yeah. genuinely falling in love with her. And it's it's quite unique in yeah. the franchise to see something like this. And, and I think, you know, going back to what I said at the start, this is really one of the first clear articulation points to the franchise where they're sort of saying, well, we're going to do things a little bit differently in this film, which is made clear by the opening where George Lazenby, uh, you know, tries to rescue Tracy, then gets set upon by a bunch of bad guys. They run off Steely's car and he turns the camera and he says, this never happened to the other fella yeah. in, in about as good an English accent as I just did then. So it's very, very clear sort of Australian. And it's sort of like, you know, he's admitting that, well, no, I'm not Sean Connery. Yeah. But yes, I'm James Bond. Yeah. Um, and Don't you so think that's an amazing... I mean, it's, it's quite obvious that because, you know, Sean Connery had... You know, it, it is like not having Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Yeah. It's saying, well, you love this guy, you love this character, we're going to put someone else in and... It's amazing that they felt the need to address yeah. the elephant in the room. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Phenomenal. Thought that they could get away yeah. with it. Really. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it starts even earlier. Like the opening gun barrel um, mm. is unique because Lazenby kneels when he yes. shoots. Remember that? True. And Barry actually introduces um, a new instrument because the, the main theme is played on synthesizer. And it's pretty dated, but it's, it's pretty unique in the series because it doesn't happen in any other film. I mean, there is a bit of synth through the score generally. I mean, yeah. I, I think probably the other cue that we have to immediately talk about, I think, from On Her Majesty's Secret Service is the ski chase cue. Yes. Where we get, I mean, look, this is one of the best action cues out of certainly this era of Bond, if not in total. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people talk about On Her Majesty's Secret Service as being probably Barry's best Bond score. It's certainly yep. quite quite diverse in, in many different ways. We get a lot of different musical moods. Um, but here we get the ski chase and we get the the sort of rep repetition of the melody, the On Her Majesty's Secret Service melody that you were gesturing to before with the opening titles. Um, so, I mean... Might as well hear it. We'll hear some. Um, is it Moog or something in there? Or? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 yeah, a Moog yeah. keyboard, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, along with you know the the great melody. So here we go.
got so much attitude. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it, it's fantastic. And it's unexpected, mm. that chord. Da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like a, a, a tune that starts on a minor third. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. followed by a major third. It's, major. Of, it's quite unusual. Hold on, hold on. Then it goes up to the, what, what key are you in? Yeah, 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 yeah. So there we go. No, no, no. If you go back to the start. So that, are you in C? Uh, I'm trying no, to read I, I, I see what you're letting. You're kind of yeah, yeah. So that. Yeah. yeah, there's a bit of the chromatic bond. There you go. Somewhere, mm. somewhere Again. in there. <laughs> Dan, Dan thinks he's very clever. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, sure. he, he, is actually, he is actually very clever. He's more cleverer than me and Andrew combined. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll pay you later. Um, um, but, you know, I mean, that's just such a great cue. Yeah. Um, and really, I think, you know, if I was going to pick one Barry cue, I think I'd pick that one, to be honest. Yeah. Um, mm. It's it, very exciting. Yeah, yeah. Very and just, exciting. you know, so so emblematic of a lot of his Bond writing. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, aside from that and the rest of the film, I mean, as I said, a lot of people say this is this is his best work. We get, you know, this beautiful romantic treatment of the, the we have all the time in the world melody with Bond and Draco uh, when they're up in the castle. use of strings are they muted do you think it sounds like it i mean mm. it, it could also be an old recording quality kind of thing mm. but they do sound kind of yeah um sort of darkened and, and and sort of round and warm yeah and this song i remember um there was a great john barry tribute concert just after he passed away and david arnold actually got up on stage and sung this mm. um him himself how about. was the because i was just about to make the comment that i find this song more than any other bond song maybe shirley bassey is getting close as well in terms of i can't imagine another singer doing it well mm. uh but i've heard many do you know goldfinger and stuff pretty well mm. um even though a lot of them really put their bassy on oh, yeah. you know when they do it yep. uh, you know I don't want to hear anyone else sing this song <laughs> than, than um, Louis, Louis Armstrong, Armstrong. Mm. Um, like because I, I think it would be so easy just because of the way the melody is constructed and the way you're sort of sliding between you know those ends of phrases and those notes you could so easily do a really corny crooner version yeah. of this which I would hate yeah. so much yeah. we have all yeah 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 <laughs> there you go. yeah exactly <laughs> in the world yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah. Not a, yeah. Dan Yogo. <laughs> oh yeah, great. Um, you mean yeah, the but song? and actually the the warmth of the under, underlying strings versus that kind of gratiness of Louis Armstrong yeah. is what makes it, I think, so yeah, work so great. But you you so rarely hear it played live. Mm. Um, you know, I've been to a million um, you know orchestra and you know playing James Bond music concerts, and th it is they never played. This one, don't they? Never yeah. played. Um, yeah, mm. it's interesting. The only other thing that I really want to mention from On Her Majesty's Secret Service before we move on is like what we have to describe is, I guess, the horny saxophone. Yep. <laughs> Dan's written in our show notes, hilarious horny sax. Yep. <laughs> which, which is the, I mean, this is the cue Bond meets the girls. So this is when, you know, the plot involves, as of course it should in a Bond movie from 1969, this is. Bond going up to the villain's lair where it turns out he's sort of, you know, preparing for a f breeding a future human race with these, you know, 
hilariously attractive women who've been chosen for their genetic perfection, whatever, blah, blah. The mm. point doesn't matter. Anyway, <laughs> um, you know, Bond, of course, goes up there and seduces them all. In a kilt. <laughs> In a kilt while pretending to be Scottish. <laughs> yeah, like, it's just unparodiable. Unparodiable. Uh, and we get the, the horny saxophone, which, like, I mean, here it is. What's horny about that, Dan? That? That sounds like just some nice sax playing. <laughs> that, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on this podcast, that is the sound of an erection. I think. <laughs> <laughs> don't you think? Okay, like, we just earned our yeah. um, ex- E rating. I mean, rating like, on. come on. That, oh, it's so <laughs> obscene. That. That that cue, it's it like is, it's oh, anyway. I'm not sure if we've mentioned it before, but I'm actually a saxophone player. Yeah, sorry. Uh, and I I just hear that as some nice sax. They're like, I was yeah. expecting something. You know, I, I couldn't remember that cue. It's not like careless whisper, rude. No, exactly. No. But yeah. it's it's sort of classy. Yeah, it's <laughs> but yeah, it's sort of it's like I'm sorry raised eyebrows, the ro- the arousal, down. and yeah. it just comes out of the the, the score out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. All of a sudden, do yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so from here, we, we have the return of Sean Connery briefly. In 1971, he was persuaded to come back. They decided that George Lazenby was not, in fact, the future of the franchise. Diamonds are forever. Uh, it's the last of the Sean Connery era uh, and probably the last one that we'll do before we move on to episode two. There's not... I mean, it's a nice little score, and I like the Shirley Bassey title, which was again written by John Barry. Diamonds are forever. Exactly, exactly. I should, I should just do all of the yeah, lovely yeah. little motif. Accompany me here, Nick. <laughs> Bit of a Bond lift there. Oh yeah, nice. Oh nice. yeah. Diamonds are forever. Something, something, forever. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And 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 see this this is this is why you were saying songs can be can be done so badly. But um, anyway, um, just press next to the next episode. People. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, I mean, look, there's some interesting stuff in this score. Um, I again, we get uh, a lovely little repeating pattern from Barry with the track 007 and counting. I hate that so much, Dan. Really? I hate it. Why? It's the the strings. Yeah. Like, there's no voice leading. Like, there's... It's just the, like... The chords feel a bit block, wrong, don't they? Yeah, Blocky. block chords that sort of I just like... I love those Wah. chords. I can Wah. see you not hating the melody. I mean, I can see you disliking the melody because it's kind of a little bit awkward in the way that it sits chromatically there. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Mm. But... Those block strings, I don't know, they're like... You know what it sounds like? Did you guys ever own the computer program Band in a Box? 
Oh yeah, I, I, that, was, that was the first like music software I ever used. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So people who who don't know this a computer program where you would type the chords in, and then you would choose a style, and then the the um, the computer oh. program would would play the band version of it, and it had this terrible habit of. Uh, having the same um, what, what are called chord voicings. So these are any chord would have a bunch of notes in it and they would present them the same way in these blocks. And so you'd get these accompaniments with mm. strings that would go <laughs> where, you know, another composer would find um, nice, you know, ways, nice to, ways to, to move between mm. those those notes. I see um, what you mean. And yeah. it's sort of like really blocky. Mm. And as soon as that played, I'm like, oh God, it's banned in the box. Again. Uh. Yeah, make me angry. Dan <laughs> anger up my and blood it also it doesn't have like that kind of layered build of the mm. of the no, caption in space it's true. it just sort of appears and is there but mm. yeah. I mean you know the da, 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 comes in and then the melody comes in so there's a little a bit little of a build bit, yeah. to it but not quite as much as mm. the other but certainly he's playing with the same ideas yeah. The only other thing that I think I'd sort of highlight from Diamonds Are Forever uh, is the sort of creepy saxophone motif. What's your problem with the sax, Dan? <laughs> well, from horny sax to creepy sax. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, it's it's John Barry because I have to say the depiction of these characters, Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid in this film is notoriously homophobic. <laughs> yeah, right. I have to say. Problematic. That, mm. Yes, yes. They are the gay serial killer assassins and yep. the film is not very subtle about that. Uh, and he, it's that funny bit where he really enjoys the wedgie he gets yeah. at, the, at the very end of the uh, film. That just makes no sense. It's, it's really weird. It's <laughs> not great, yeah. But look, it's an interesting sort of musical idea that accompanies it. So here's, here's the motif for Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid. And I mean, I, you know, I quite like the little fall at the end there because it's not just a bend. It's like you can hear each individual note being tracked as it yeah. goes down, which is... Yeah, I think you can nice even sort of touch. hear the keys yeah. hitting yeah. the... And there's know, a the flute end. doubling there as well. It's right. Like, yeah. It's very, very mm. nice. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, really, that takes us to the end of Sean Connery's tenure mm. as James Bond. And it's probably, and probably a good, good place to, to mm. stop mm. after all that. I think mm. you're right, guys. Let's, let's bring episode 18, part one of part James one. Bond... To an end. Uh, that was pretty epic, guys. It was. But we've got more to come. Of course, in part two, we're going to check out uh, the Moore era mm. and uh, dive into a whole bunch of other classics <laughs> and uh, some different composers most yeah. Importantly. yeah absolutely and of course if you enjoyed this episode please uh like and subscribe write a comment for us on on itunes or apple Podcasts, as it's now being called and uh hit us up on facebook instagram and uh twitter at art of the score and we are more than happy to get back to you answer any of your questions maybe there's some tracks that we missed um during the the first part of this of this epic three-parter and uh you know maybe we'd love to hear your favorite tracks um like i said we're, we're purposely not getting into the songs on this particular one uh but maybe there's a little cue that you'd love to point out we'd love to to hear what you think but uh that is it for this episode and of course i'm andrew pogs and that's dan golding i will see you in the next episode Woo! and he's nicholas buck thank you mish Penny. 
<laughs> and this was Art of the Score. <laughs>